This is the Horse Radio Network. What a beautiful day for horses in the morning. You are listening to the number one horse podcast in the world. Here's your entertaining look at the horse world and the people in it. I'm Coach Jen in Ocala, Florida. And I'm Mary Kitzmiller from Kemp, Texas. And you're listening to Horses in the Morning on the Horse Radio Network for January 14th, episode 2598. Today's show is brought to you by Horsewear. Good morning, Horse World. It's training day on Horses in the Morning. Listen to Mary Kitzmiller and Coach Jen make horse training sound easy. Until you get to the barn yourself. Then replay it a second time. Oh, that's funny. That's very funny. I love it. It sounds like we're going to talk training and then race monster trucks on Sunday. <laughs> Sunday, Sunday. Be there. I love it. We're going to talk awesome. horse training and then race monster trucks. I tell you, um, I'm going to, I'm going to use that later, but that made me think of something for our training tip for today. Welcome back, everybody. Mary is here the second Thursday of every month, and we do sit down and geek out on all things horse training. And I don't know if we make it sound easy, but we certainly do our best to make it sound fun. Yeah, because because what, it, you know, is it worth it if it's not fun? That's that's the goal. Right. You got it. Our goal is not necessarily to get the horse trained. It's to have fun doing it. Yeah, just enjoy the ride. Literally. Literally. There we go. Well, uh, she's here there the today. Uh, thanks very much to the folks at Horseware for bringing us this show this week, and it couldn't be here without them. So stop on over to Horseware. Just go to your search search bar on the top of your computer or on your phone and type in Horseware. You'll find all kinds of great, cool stuff there. And we always start out on the show with uh, with a training tip because Mary is always inspired by some incident in her life, recent or way past, to uh, to give us a training tip. And this time. I get I get to bring up the training tip topic. And my training tip topic is ground poles. I came across Ooh, yeah, one. I came across a video earlier this week that a friend of mine posted with a unique ground pole exercise that I had never seen before. And I grew up very much in the eventing and dressage and fox hunting genres, and ground poles were used to teach horses to have good rhythm, uh, strengthen their top line, get them to back, rock back on their hocks to get over fences, things like that. And they were set at very specific distances to get the horses to do that. And more recently in my life, I've discovered there are lots of other things you can do with ground poles. So do you have a favorite ground pole exercise? Mine is just try to get through them without it looking like a disaster. So that's my, <laughs> that's my exercise. Um, but yeah, I love, uh, I love working with ground poles. You know, I'm on the Western side, so I don't really jump very often on purpose. Um, <laughs> if I can help it every once in a while, we will fly over a tarp, but that's not meant to happen. But, um, but we do use the ground poles a lot, uh, in the showing because you're trying to mimic, especially like the ranch horse type of stuff I do. 
and they use like natural ground holes Mm -hmm. and you're trying to mimic, you know, this is what would happen on the trail. Can your horse pick his way through a course? Mm -hmm. Um, So it's a, yeah, really, really fun to work on. And I never think about it, but this has got me thinking already. Yeah. So you, and you make it bring up an interesting point because uh, in my formative years, Ground poles of any kind were never set randomly so that the horse had to, what you call, pick his way through it. In other words, change his his step lengths, take a big step, then a short step, then two steps between two poles and vary it like that. That was not done because that wasn't part of our goal. But I noticed when I started to look beyond my comfort zone at some of the things that the Western disciplines do, that is a common behavior. So if somebody wanted to use ground poles to teach their horse to pick, in other words, to to think about and become more aware of where his feet are, because that's something my um, not quite OTTB thoroughbred Nigel needs to be better at. He, I can't call him an OTTB because he never actually made it to the track. He flunked out early. Um, oh. But he, he doesn't have good proprioception. He tends to lose track of where his feet are under him, and he's prone to... um, stepping on things he doesn't need to step on and going, that was awful. Well, dude, it was right there. You didn't need to step on it and things like that. So how might you set up poles um, in a training situation for a horse that needs to be better about watching where he's going and putting his feet appropriately? That is excellent. So um, one thing that I do with horses like that, and and in the Western world, the types of horses that I've ridden, I've noticed a really interesting distinction between, and this is not always the case, but a lot of the times it is, between stall-raised horses and horses that have been uh, grown up on natural terrains. Um, So those horses tend to not need to be told, hey, there's a log in front of you. Don't trip over it. You know, look <laughs> at it and make sure you pick up your feet. Um, I've noticed the stall babies tend to not understand that they should lift their feet higher. And But the horses that were raised like on a rocky, hilly, you know, hillside in West Texas with prickly pear and rattlesnakes behind every rock, you can just give them their head and they're like, yeah, I got this. And my Mustangs, um, not always, I've had some clumsy Mustangs and I'm like, how did you survive? You lived on a cliff <laughs> and you can't get over this pole. But, but he only time, survived cause he was gathered. That's the only reason yeah. he's still there. <laughs> most of the time the, the horses, uh, learn how to pick their way through different types of terrain. Um, but you know, sometimes we don't all have that kind of natural setting and even pasture puff ponies, uh, like my pastures are flat and the, the ground is perfectly soft and it's just perfect all the time. So yeah, they raise don't my hand. Yeah. We have that. the same thing. Everything's flat and smooth. Yeah. 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 It's nice and soft. So I can't, you know, so the horses in the wilder horses on different terrain, they learn trial and error. If you step wrong, it's going to hurt. You're, you're going to trip. You're going to step into something you didn't want to step in. So you need to pay attention. Obviously we don't want to do that to our domestic horses like trial by fire. And we don't want them to find out the hard way when we take them on a real trail ride that, Hey, if you are not thinking and you step off of this bridge, we're going to die. Uh, we, we don't want to set that up. Obviously, nah, bad. but you can change the types of poles you're using to make your horse a little bit more compelled to think. So like railroad ties as ground poles can be excellent. Um, you know, now I wouldn't set them up and then just start cantering over them. Um, you know, but 
but if a horse, uh, you know, they have, first of all, it's a bigger pole, so they have to lift their foot over it and it doesn't move if they knock it. I like that Uh, a lot. Yeah. So they usually fit her in and it doesn't have to be a railroad tie and we don't all have access to, or, you know, to those big square heavy logs. Um, but you can find heavier poles and kind of more like logs at places like Home Depot and stuff. Yeah. You go to the fence post department. Yeah. Yeah. And, or you can do things like, you know, you can have, if you have four ground poles in a row, you can lift one of them with a cement block, you know, just on one side, make it to where if they knock it, it'll, it'll tumble down. Um, but then they, you know, so they'll go over two or three poles that are on the ground and, oh my gosh, that third one's a little bit higher. I got to really think about that. Um, so that is a really good way to do it. Um, is, you know, make it, make them a a little bit more compelling for the horse to go, Ooh, that looks different. Maybe I should actually look about it, you know, look at that and think about it a little bit more. There you go. Now I see often are particularly on the, what do they call them? Extreme mountain trail courses. The ones you see the pictures and videos online that are just gorgeous and they create the entirety of Yellowstone national park in an arena. Um, yes. And you often and waterfalls. Yeah, waterfalls, trees. They've got they've got everything but the elk and they might even have one of those hiding somewhere. You'll often see a section there or sections there where they have either real or fake, I can't tell, boulders and chunks of logs and things like that that as if it was um blow down or a rocky part of a trail that had a little bit of a rock slide where the horse has to pick his way through because it's just this jumble of stuff. What would you suggest to recreate that type of environment and how far apart or how close would you put things? So as far as distances and stuff, because my use for poles and obstacles is not like where, what some people do where this is going to help us gauge the distance to a jump and it's got to be set certain, you know, certain distances or, you know, we're going to do a, a Western pleasure style trail class where we have to jog over these perfectly. So, you know, there's, there are times when you're going to want perfect distances and you're going to want to measure that out so that your horse can properly, you know, canter all the way through, you know, a combination or whatever. Um, but, uh, the way I use them, um, and the way that I show, we are showing the world that, Hey, this horse can handle a trail. And so like, if you're going through a grove of trees and there's a bunch of deadfall, it's not measured. It's not, you know, you've, the, that horse has to really look and pick his way through without getting tangled. So when I measure things, I make sure, you know, safety is number one. I make sure the horse can actually fit that there's room for both, you know, me and the horse to go through and maneuver our way around. But I don't, you know, I'm not getting the measuring tape out there and making sure it's just so, um, there's lots of things that you can do that aren't boulders, but might, you know, simulate the situation as best you can. Things like car wash obstacles and pool noodle obstacles. And there's all sorts of ideas online on Pinterest, especially, uh, that can help you out there. Um, places like Home Depot and Lowe's will often have, uh, you know, kind of like landscaping items where the rock is fiberglass or so you can set up props that way. I use mounting blocks, whatever I have on the ranch. Um, and obviously it's not going to be perfectly, um, natural, but it will get the point across. Yeah. It'll get your horse thinking and, and, um, 
uh, you know, it will mimic the situation. Something that I use because I have very limited number of obstacles here at the farm. I have some ground poles. I have a couple of jump standards. Um, and I have some mount, some jump blocks, which are these giant plastic rectangular shaped things. Uh, they're about 24 inches long and about eight, six or eight inches high. And they have little uh, divots in them so that you can put a rail on them. So you use them, a l- you use them similar to a Cavaletti or a uh, jump standard. And I found that scattering those about are a useful boulder or um, downed tree analog because they're not fun to step on. I mean, if the horses step on them, nothing happens. They get squished or they pop out of the way. So they're pretty safe to use. But the horses don't seem to like stepping on them. At least that's been my experience. They'll have one that'll step on them and go, that sucked. I'm not doing that again. So it does help. And uh, they're pretty durable. So that's an option. One of the things that um, I do is I go to our local uh, Firehouse Subs restaurant. They're all over the place. They're a chain. And you can get their what's called the pickle bucket. And I was astounded that not everybody in the universe knows what a pickle bucket is. Do you know what a pickle bucket is? I have no idea. I assume it's a bucket for pickles. See, back in the day, again, I'm dating myself. Back in the day, the green... Five, the generic green five-gallon bucket was ubiquitous in barns in the Mid-Atlantic area. Everybody had green five-gallon buckets everywhere because you could go to the local fast food restaurant and that's what their pickles came in. And you, they'd give them to you for free because they threw them away by the hundreds. So everybody yeah. had them. And nowadays that doesn't happen. But when you go to the firehouse restaurant... Uh, their pickles still come in the same five-gallon bucket like everybody's pickles come in. But you can buy them and it's like 2 or $3 or something, a couple bucks for the bucket and the lid. And all that money they get for selling those pickle buckets because it's a throwaway item goes into a pot to buy um, supplies and machinery for first responders. Thus, oh, cool. Yeah, thus Firehouse stops. But they're also really doggone handy. And they, if you take the handle off of it and drill a little hole in it so that the water can get back out they also make a great analog for boulders and and um tree stumps and stuff like that and if you want to make them serious yeah if you want to make them a little bit more boulderish you can fill them with sand so that they're really heavy if the horse bumps into them they feel that way because some horses especially if they're um a uh, a city horse (laughs) it's called that versus a country horse Things bumping into their legs when they walk past them like that might be a little bit disturbing. They might go, oh, what's that? My gosh. And that way, when they do bump into them, they get a little feel for, oh, what's that like? Um, Okay, I can deal with it, but I'd really not do it again. But they're not going to, you know, jump into the stratosphere the first time they bump their leg on something. Very clever. And, you know, we, uh, we, we do these obstacles and pretty much every competition that we have invented for horseback is to show, hey, this horse can jump things really well. He would be excellent on a fox hunt. Or this horse can rope this dummy so he can go drag calves to the branding fire. So we're, we're showing what would happen, you know, on, on the job for these horses and how good they would, would be at a job. And – but – 
you know, so you can do it for the sake of competition or for the sake of actually doing some of these things we're demonstrating, taking your horse on a fox hunt or going to a branding. Um, but for most of us, and this is myself included, um, I ride alone and I will not go on a trail alone. I just won't do it. I, you know, I could bump my head on a tree branch, get knocked out. No one would find me. So, and I've bumped my head so, on a tree branch just because I forgot the duck. Hello. It happens. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> it doesn't mean that I'm not a terrific rider. I just don't look at my I wasn't paying sometimes. attention. <laughs> yeah. So, so I, you know, I won't go on trails by myself. So I have to wait till someone's available and, you know, our schedules line up and this and that and the other. I don't have cattle. I don't have a mountain I can go ride up. So I, I have to be really careful when I'm training my horses because it could just be going around in circles every day, which is boring for both of us. And the horse never really gets to learn. So, you know, the obstacles in the ground poles are a pretty inexpensive way to safely uh, not only get your horse ready for the outside world, but to give them something fun to think about instead of just going around in another circle. So it's really great cross training for a horse and just to, you know, just to keep their mind working and keep them happy at their job. And, um, you know, even talking about this now, I need to practice what I preach because I, I don't set my obstacles up enough. Um, and I need to, I need to do that with a couple of my ponies. There we go. I'm going to be going out there today. That's, that's jo Nigel's, uh, plan lesson plan for the day is to go out and do some obstacles at Liberty today. Ooh. Not that I expect it to go well, but we're doing it at Liberty because he is a seriously wound up horse right now. <laughs> <laughs> if he's going to be naughty, I want him to up. do it when I'm not on his back. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so we're going to go. He will work at Liberty a little bit in, it, in that he doesn't completely ignore me. He'll come and do things a little bit. So today I'm going to push the envelope a little bit and really see if I can't get him to to do stuff and run and buck off some energy in a reasonably constructive manner. Stay tuned for news later. <laughs> oh, yes. I definitely want video. Yeah, I should get, yes, I should get Glenn to come out and video it a little bit. <laughs> That'll be a little fun. Speaking of which, if you haven't gotten a Pivo yet, and this is not a sponsored thing at all. It should all, be. But this is like my third or fourth robot camera thing I have tried, and I had no expectations, and this one actually works. I just throw it on my mounting block and I'm doing mostly groundwork these days with a bunch of the horses I'm working. And I just click, you know, I just touch the horse in the screen on my phone and it just follows us around for half an hour. And I keep looking at it. I'm like, oh my God, it's still working. <laughs> so, uh, so if you're yeah. wanting a good way to film your horses and you don't have a person to come out and do that, those things are pretty awesome. I totally need a Pivo because like you, 98% of the time I'm riding by myself. Uh, so I need to get a Pivo. Yeah. All right. Well, speaking of getting things, you can get some uh, awesome things from our, the folks at Horseware. So uh, we're going to listen to a little message from them. And when we come back, we're going to give our guest a call, Courtney. Well, I'm here with Catherine from Horseware. We are at the trade show. And I asked her a question. Horseware is really known for blankets and really well known. And we use them all the time on the English side. But what do you have that fits that hard to fit what, you know, quarter horse, the Western quarter horse? Our top seller into the Western market is our Bravo 12 Plus Medium. And the medium weight is a 250 gram fill. It comes with a hood that is detachable. Um, and it's a 1200 denier material. So I know that one of the things that's really important on the Western side is to have the hood, too. And I, the no hood... No fuzzy necks, please. No fuzzy necks, that's right. And the hood kind of attaches in a different way than most hoods. This is pretty cool. 
The hood attachment is to minimize any sort of rubbing. So the hook is on the inside of the rug and then the attachment on the hood is a Velcro. No snaps. Off, no, no snaps. snaps. Right. No snaps. So it eliminates the rubbing on it the eliminates neck. Eliminates rubbing, and it, it's so important to actually keep that neck covered. Uh, you spend so much time trying to put condition on that neck. It's a huge, big muscle, and during the colder weather, you're defeating the purpose of having putting that put that effort into maintaining that muscle if you don't have the hood on. Very good, and of course, it has the quality, and that's why I wanted to bring this up because horsewear has such quality, lasts such a long time that I'm really glad to see there's something for the Western market now with that quality. Absolutely, our our pattern is fantastic. The fit, the functionality, it, our blankets, and it just lasts a long time. It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> and the other beauty with our rugs, they are actually crafted so that they don't need leg straps. So when you look at the graphics that we have in our magazines or on our website, you'll see. For Horses at standing, um, trotting, galloping, um, and the, the blanket is designed so that it stays in place and there's no slippage. Very good. Glenn loves that there's no leg straps. I love that. Yes. Horse husband approved. So now where can people find out more about the uh, horsewear line of blanket? We have a website that gives a comprehensive um, information on all the sizes, colors, um, and options that are available, and that is horsewear.com. And it also ha yeah, it makes it really easy to find out your size and to do all of that on there. I've been on there many times. Horsewear.com. I didn't tell Mary I was going to do that. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> happy birthday to Mary. Everybody go over to Mary Kitts Miller Training and put happy birthday on her Facebook page today. Oh, thank you. Just going to put that out there. So uh, there you go. Happy birthday. And now we're going to give Courtney a call. So time for a listener. We have time for a listener question before we get a hold of Courtney because she's going to be driving somewhere and won't be able to use her phone. So pick one. Okay, we have a question from Abby Basner. I hope I've pronounced that correctly. And it is how to teach a horse to square up. So if you're not sure what square up means, and I'm assuming this is what she's referring to, when you are showing um, in halter classes or showmanship classes um, and you're presenting your horse to the judge and you know, especially these confirmation classes, you want them to stay in nice and square uh, so that you know they look optimal. And, uh, so you actually have to teach your horse to do that. So they're just not standing all sprawled out or with a hind leg cocked. And it seems a little bit tricky, but the way I was taught is pretty dang easy. Um, and you don't need any like special magic to do it. Um, it's really simple. So what I do to teach a horse to stand square is I focus on the back feet first. So I don't worry about the front feet because trying to get all four feet to stand perfectly where you need to can be tricky and daunting at first. So I worry about the back feet and I pick a foot that is going to remain stationary and I'm going to balance all other feet to that foot. So usually for me, it's the outside hind foot. So that one I'm like, and, and by thinking about this, it's kind of weird. If you think about, I want that foot to stand still and I want to move that particular foot that I'm looking at. The horse kind of gets it. And, uh, you know, I think they're so good at reading and feeling body language, these, these micro changes that you do when you just set your intentions on what you want to do, that it seems like, you know, it seems like magic sometimes. But 
so I usually pick an outside hind foot and that's the one I'm going to be, uh, have remain still and I'm going to square up everything else to that foot. So again, I focus on the back feet first and when I work my lead rope or, or shank on my show halter, um, I pull straight back or straight forward to adjust the hind feet. When I come to the front feet, which we'll get to, I, I lift up and go back and forward. So they understand the difference. They learn to understand the difference between, oh, my back feet are meant to move or no. Okay. We're working on my front feet. They're going to move now. So I look at the foot I want to move. And this is very important. I look at it and I think about where I want it to go as I'm adjusting the horse. Now, what's going to happen when you first start training the horse is he's going to back up way too much or come forward way too much, or he's going to move the wrong foot. You just keep your eyes drilled on the foot you want to move, and you just keep adjusting that halter and lead rope until he picks up the foot you want and places it, if not exactly where you want it, pretty close, and then release. And you can give him a cookie at that point, um, but I just use a simple release of pressure. And so I practice on just getting the hind feet square for the first several lessons. And you know, just anytime I'm leading the horse, I might just stop him, look at the feet, square up the hind feet, and move on. And after a while, you guys will hit a rhythm to where he stands and you can just look at that foot and just almost imperceptibly, you can put those back feet straight together exactly how you want. Once you have that happening consistently, now you can do the front feet. And again, in the very beginning, what's going to happen is you'll try to move the front left foot and he's going to move all four feet or he's going to move his back feet or whatever. Just, you know, set the back feet up again and then go back to the foot you want to move. And again, I, I change how I'm asking. So the horse will come to understand the difference between I'm meant to move the front feet or I'm meant to move the back feet by how I lift on the shank. So again, straight back, straight forward, we'll adjust the hind feet lifting up on the lead rope or shank and going back and forth will adjust the front feet. And same thing. I just get the front feet together and roughly where I want them. I do one foot at a time. So I'll look at his left front, put that where I want it. And I'll look at the right front, put that where I want it. And, you know, he's going to pop out here and there, but the more you practice and kind of just get it approximated, it's going to start just clicking. And what will even happen if you practice this enough leading your horse around and you stop, you, you know, if you stop in your tracks and then you turn around, like you're going to set the horse up, you will start noticing he just stands square when you stop. It's kind of creepy and cool how that happens. <laughs> it um, does. And there's, there's yeah. spillover there. When you ride under saddle, the horse is going to be more apt to halt square because he's been practicing halting square. Exactly. Yeah, and that's very important for a lot of your classes, uh, dressage, especially yeah. uh, where you want them to have a nice, pretty square halt. That's right. And and halting squarely is much better for their muscular development, even if it's not part of your uh, competition regime. For example, a show hunter probably isn't going to be asked to squ halt squarely very often. But that capability allows you to develop them symmetrically. And it also allows you to say, hmm, he really struggles with part A of this. Or, for example, he always leaves his left hind behind him. Well, hmm, maybe there's some kind of a, a, a weakness there that I need to check into. And halting squarely and maintaining that halt is mentally a good exercise. And physically, if they've got a weakness, that's an exercise that is 
pretty near guaranteed to not irritate anything, but always help something, wouldn't you think? It's yes, it's amazing to work on. And um, so in, on the Western side of things, um, when you're looking at the advanced horse, um, a horse, so in the reigning uh, uh, competitions, if you've ever seen those, the horse runs as fast as he can down the center of the arena and slides like 30 feet. It's really cool. If that horse, excuse me, I got something cut in my throat. <coughs> I swear I don't, I'm not sick. I just have something <laughs> in my throat. Um, so if that horse is stopping crooked at a walk or a trot, then I know that he won't be able to slide because if he's if he's crooked in that stop, he will not be able to put both those hind feet down and slide and make that beautiful stop. But then another thing, and I didn't learn this until later in my career, it is actually one of the first things I teach my cult before I put the first ride on them. Um, and it's a big safety thing for me. It's not me being persnickety. Um, if that, if I've done my groundwork with my colt and I'm getting ready to get on him for the first time, um, you know, that is a very, it can be a very hair trigger event. You make a wrong move and you could end up having something really bad happen. So you want it all to go nice and smooth. And if that colt, especially if you're starting, you know, them at a younger age, like two or three, they're often unbalanced. They're not used to carrying a rider's weight. And if they are standing all splayed out and I go to get on, they can't hold me properly, especially if they're a smaller horse. Um, they can't hold me properly if they're not square. And so what can end up happening is if I don't pay attention to how that horse is standing and they're off balance and I don't get on perfectly and I'm pulling on that saddle to get on, it it can freak them out. They don't understand what the weight is coming on their back and they're not prepared for me because uh, they're not standing square. So what can happen is they might scramble their feet to adjust and then, then it feels weird that I'm on their back and then it just it can snowball into this. Now they're trotting off. I'm halfway on. Now they're bucking. Now it's a rodeo. <laughs> and, you know, I'm always, I'm always thinking about what's going to happen down the line with these colts. And so one thing that I do before I get on that first ride is make sure they're standing square, make sure they're standing still. And I will then actually pull on, I will just stand by the shoulder and pull on the saddle horn and initially a baby colt is especially a little one they're going to kind of go with the feeling of that saddle and they might step out of place or you know kind of follow that feel um so i don't want that to happen cuz then it'll knock them off balance so i'll hold on to that saddle until they strengthen their their muscles and they stand square and resist me this is one of the few instances in horse training where i want brace i want them to brace themselves so they can properly take my weight and it won't scare them um, so it, it has you know, a simple exercise standing square has uses all across the horse training universe. There you go. And one of the things I found useful <clears throat> and this, I did scooter taught me this when Glenn's hackney pony, who is the most into pressure creature I have ever come across. He has taught me to be lighter and more subtle in so many ways. Uh, but asking him to square himself in any way was a real challenge because it seemed like he just didn't get it. It's like, Arr! but just taking a few steps back a little bit, take, turn a few pages back in the training book and simply teaching him to move away from me so that if I could, I could hold a lead rope in my left hand and move to his right, his left side and use my hand near his body, not on his body and say, move over just as simple as that. I don't care how you do it. Just 
move over and then do it on the right. And okay, we can do that. Can you back up two steps? I don't care how your legs do it. I don't care where your head goes. Just back up. Okay, we can do that. Can you come forward from a little towards me to me? I couldn't use the, the lead rope and pull because it's too much fun to pull back because he's anything that touches his body, he pushes back on and teaching him that process that what I was asking for is I'm asking you to move your body. And I'm going to do that by where I place my body and where I place my eyes, not by touching you. So much more successful with this particular pony. And once we got all those things and he was going, he was on my page. Oh yeah, I know what you want. Let's do that. Then I could go back a couple more pages forward. Now we can ask specific hooves to move because that was too advanced at that point because we weren't on the same page. So if you're having trouble squaring your horse up and you feel like you're doing this, okay, I'm, I'm using my lead rope in this way and I'm asking this foot to move. If nothing's happening or he's getting completely the wrong answer, you might have to back up a few more steps in the training book. Very cool. Yeah. It, it you know, I, I find that what I work on most with training these days, I'll get down to like the microscopic elements of just getting them to move a little this way and a little that way. And it does something. I can't explain what it does, but the more you get that precision uh, with your horse and you guys are moving in sync, it's like a sedative almost. They just calm down. It's such I, a great I would thing absolutely on. agree with you. When you get when you get that to the point, whether you're on their back or doing groundwork, when you can use that subtle body language to communicate and get movement, it is a, it's a much different horse than the one you get when you have to use big physical movements or um, physical pressure, lead rope, hand, leg. You're right. It is a very different response and a, a different um, energy that the horse has throughout. And I think it's, it's mostly related to the fact that the human has a different energy too, right? To get that to happen. Yeah. Yeah. Cause, uh, when you, when you go from thinking about the macro elements of getting your whole pattern to come together and you quiet down and you separate things out and you know, you, you tinker on little things. It's, it's calming for us. It helps us not to get overwhelmed with all the stuff we're trying to get the horse to do. And, uh, yeah, I just think it makes everything with you and the horse just flow better. It's, it's uh, good sometimes to take a, mic- a magnifying glass up to what your horse is doing and work on those, you know, tiny little things. There you go. Work on the tiny bits. Cool. Well, I think it's now time to actually call our guest today, Courtney, who is also an auditor. And if you're wondering what auditors are, auditors are folks who belong to our Patreon and they help support the Horse Radio Network podcasts. And to do that, just go to any of the Horse Radio Network show pages like horsesinthemorning.com and click on the auditor banner. It's usually on the right-hand side of the page and you can help join the fun. And our auditors get to submit questions to Mary and other hosts and we get to talk about it and sometimes they even get to come on the show. So let's do that right now. Hey, Courtney, how are you? I'm great. How are you? Good. Um, So we have with us Courtney, one of our uh, HRN auditors on our Facebook group, to ask her a very challenging question. I'm looking at it right now. Um, So you are working with a horse who's uh, petrified of open spaces. Uh, Tell us a little bit more about that. Yeah, so I have a mare. She's older, but was started late in life, um, and she does great in the ring. Essentially, she's bomb-proof. Like, I'm pretty sure, like, a literal bomb could go off underneath her, and she would not care whatsoever, despite her other quirks. 
Uh, <laughs> how, um, and I have 15 acres that I ride her on. She's fine in the ring um, for the most part. Like I said, she does have some quirks. Um, but as soon as we leave the property, even if it's just outside of the fence line that we were just walking inside of, um, she goes absolutely crazy for no reason. Um, I've taken her trail riding uh, a couple different places, and it takes a good hour or so for her to, like, settle. Um, but for the most part, she's just, like, turning and spinning and going back the direction that she came, even if, like, that's not her typical home. So, like, trail riding-wise, um, if we – obviously, she knows where the trailer is, but if we start at a different location, she just picks location – sits and spends and decides that's her new safe place, I guess. I don't know. Uh Um, I hope this is a good explanation because I really don't know how to explain her nonsense. Uh, (laughs) Basically, she doesn't do well outside of her her declared safe zone, and I don't know how to help her through that. Um, We've done a ton of, like, trust building. I can lead her anywhere, and she's fine. She listens really well on the ground. Um, but it's just with me on her back, she goes into complete panic. Um, so, yeah, this is uh, something that I've dealt with with a number of horses. It's usually this kind of big, scary threshold with colts I'm starting, especially uh, Mustangs, where, you know, they get used to their zone, whether it's a round pen, it's arena, a certain part of the pasture, whatever. And then there's this very, like, almost visible threshold where, you take a step back that back past that and it's complete chaos. Um, so I have dealt with this and because I've dealt with this so much with green horses and I've had things go crazy. I found that I myself had this comfort zone as well. So my arena is in the middle of my pasture and the only difference between, you know, the grass I'm riding on in my arena and my pasture is just a fence line. But um, I found myself like hesitant to open the gate and go ride around in my pasture um, because I've had horses that they would get nervous. And so then it makes me nervous and I'm remembering all that nerve wracking. So like I would have to make myself go, okay, we're riding out today. So I understand it from a human perspective, especially. <laughs> and That makes total sense. My, my arena is basically the exact same thing as yours, it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and, you know, it's, it's just a fence. That's all it is. And, and my fence isn't even that good. They could crash through it if they wanted to. So it's, <laughs> there's something mental. And so I understand how the horse feels about it. Cause I feel the same way. Like there's this line where you're like, I, I can't go across there. And then of course you go to a, a trail and I've had horses do the exact same thing. They, they pick, sometimes they know where the trailer is at all times, even though we're in dense woods miles away. And I can tell when I turn a corner, they're like, ah, this is the direction of home, even though we're 10 miles from home, um, or from the trailer. So, uh, as far as like riding in my pasture, what I have found works for both me and the horse is to take it a little bit at a time. So, what I started doing with my Colts um, was, you know, I'd take them to the arena, do whatever groundwork I needed to do to get ready, ride them around the arena. And instead of just going out into the open where it's like you just jumped into the deep end of the pool, I would start practicing with my Colts, teaching them how to work a gate with me on their back. Um, so instead of getting off of my horse, 
opening and closing the gate and then getting back on. I have found for the horse that feels like it's a new day. It's a new ride. It's a new horse. Like it's totally different, even though we were just three feet inside the gate. Um, so I would take him to the gate and just practice working the gate. And so at the end of my ride, I might do that. I would side pass him up to the gate. I would, you know, work the gate with horse, do whatever steps that they're ready for. And then I would ride them through the gate, close the gate. And then I'd get off after I've closed the gate. So for me, it was like ripping the bandaid off. Like we rode outside the arena. I don't care if we only were on the outside for two seconds and we're only one foot from the inside. For me, I was able to check that off. Like we did it. We rode outside and then I'd get right off there, loosen my girth, lead him back to the barn. And for me personally, once I got through that and I would just kind of make that my habit every day, ride them in the arena where things are great, work on all the training exercise we have to work on, and then make it a habit of we're going to work the gate. And the horse knows that, um, you know, I might even leave the gate open. And if they're a little squirrely, I'll ride them right back in the gate, get them back to where they want to. But I won't get off out until they can be still for a moment. So even though we've only made it just outside the gate, um, you know, it it helps me to say I did it. I rode outside so I don't get stuck in my comfort zone because I will find myself doing that. Like, we're not going to ride outside today. No, no, we're not doing it. And then it gets to where I had a trail ride that's scheduled for tomorrow and this horse hasn't been out of the arena yet because I found myself doing that. And for the horse, I made it a habit of maybe we didn't even get the gate closed. Maybe we weren't to that point, but we rode through the gate. I'm still going to make them stand and just, you know, de-stress for one moment. Maybe they are not equipped to stand for 10 minutes Um, but if I find a moment, once we've made it to the other side of that gate where they kind of go, okay, I will stand for a few moments. Then I get off, loosen the girth, lead them back. And from there you can start pushing on that threshold a little bit more and okay, I'm just going to ride in a small 10 meter circle. You know, I'm going to walk a couple of circles right outside the gate. And if they did reasonably well, okay, I'm going to get off, loosen the girth, take them back. And that helps me to tack on, okay, we did a few more steps, a few more steps, a few more steps. You can even set it up to where you have your gate open. And I have found that mentally with a lot of horses like this, even though you're in the arena where they're always perfect and really good, they see that gate open and they start getting squirrely. Like, I know that gate's open. So you can even just leave the gate open and practice. I'm going to ride a little bit outside. Now I'm going to ride right back to the center of the arena of the arena where everything is safe. <sighs> Stop and relax. Okay. We got 10 feet away from the gate. Now I'm going to ride and get 20 or 30 feet from the gate, ride a couple of circles, go back into the arena. So the best analogy I can give for this of why I think it works, it's kind of like when you're a little kid at the swimming pool and you can swim reasonably well, but you're afraid of the deep end because you can't touch the bottom of the deep end. So that's really scary. So you play this game when you're a little kid where you're kind of clinging to the side of the pool and you you sort of shuffle yourself down to where you're a few feet into the deep end of the pool and then you swim back to where you're in the three foot area and you can touch the ground and then you get a little bit braver and you let go of the side of the pool and you paddle around a little bit in the deep end and then you go right back to the shallow end where you, you know, you're safe again. And then pretty soon you do that a couple of times, you go into that kind of discomforting zone, but you, you survive and it's all great and you go back to where you feel safe. 
all of a sudden the threat and the scariness of that really scary area starts to diminish. And I take this approach, I mean, it's simple approach and retreat. I take it with everything, whether it's a Mustang allowing me to touch them for the first time or getting a horse up to a scary obstacle or a trailer. Instead of doing this black and white, we were riding in the arena. Now let's ride on the pasture for 30 minutes or let's load in the trailer and go on a trail ride. That's such a big jump into that danger zone for the horse and for me, because I can be a big baby over that over stuff like that. Um, <laughs> it's, it's just, you're just getting a little bit into the deep end. And if the horse survives and they behave reasonably well, they don't have to be perfect because I know it makes them nervous, but if they're reasonable, oh, okay, let's go back to the comfort zone. Let's stop and think about this for a little bit. Perfect. That sounds logical <laughs> and essentially what I did with my baby on trailer loading yesterday Perfect. Um, so I guess my only question would be um, knowing that I can make it a distance however long that distance is I'm not sure um, and then turning back around she gets a little bit hotter going back to her safe zone is it a better idea for me to get off of her while she's being good in the scary zone or try to ride back quietly to the safe zone? I would say play it by ear. So maybe, you know, the first several times you could play with, we rode a few feet out of the arena and she was really good. Um, and if that's a big win for her, I see no problem with getting off right back, you know, right there, loosening your girth and leading her back. Um, I would play a little bit with going back into the arena um, when you feel it's safe to do so to where she doesn't think we left the arena. Now we're going to the barn. Um, so I, I would play a little bit with both. Um, uh, but, you know, it, it is also a good idea to practice. We rode out here for a little bit. Let's see if we can ride back into the arena and get you to relax for a moment. Now I'm going to get off here and loosen the girth. So doing either or I think is fine. You know, obviously if the situation is getting out of control, just do whatever you need to to feel safe. Um, I think sometimes we get so obsessed with ending on a good note that we can't see that things are flying off the rails and now there's really no hope of ending on a good note. So I don't have a problem. Yeah. If, if my safety is threatened, I don't have a problem with saying, you know what, I'm going to get off right now. And then you can take her back in the arena and work on some groundwork to just kind of yeah. say, yeah. So just because um, I never feel like stepping off of a horse because things are unsafe, I never feel like that's a loss because I've got a whole arsenal of groundwork that can, you know, I still have all these tools on the ground to get you under control, to get your brain working, but I'm on the ground. I would rather do that than risk having a fall or something really bad happen. And now that's really going to set us back. Sure. She's a notorious um, rearer and she's very, very talented at it. <laughs> so I am quite confident at removing myself from her or riding it out, knowing that um, she won't flip as of yet, knock on wood, I'm going to ride her in a minute. Um, but uh, she's definitely not the safest creature in the world. So I've become very prone to realizing when our limit is and when I need to get down. <laughs> yeah. And, and so that's 
when what we're dealing with with most of horse training, and this is something there's great insight on this in the book that Stephen Peters and Dr. Stephen Peters and Martin Black, I think that's his name, Martin Black wrote uh, called Evidence-Based Horsemanship. And they talk about where a horse is going to learn the most and have the most development in their brain and, and get the most out of the ride. And if you think about it like a pyramid, where at the bottom of the pyramid, the horse is at complete rest. This is them grazing. They're not scanning the horizon for threats. And at the very apex of the pyramid, the hor- that's panic, fear, flight. I'm just trying to live zone. So it's great to have the horse in that bottom, super relaxed state. Um, but not a whole bunch of learning happens there. Um, I do a lot of training in that zone where we're just walking around, we're relaxed, we're mellow, we're working on relaxation and lowering our head, or we're just, I'm just grooming the horse or whatever. Um, but I also will push on the horse's kind of comfort zone. And that's that middle area between that complete fear and complete relaxation. And a horse, they're compelled um, there to try to find their way back to being comfortable and finding a release of pressure. That's where a lot of learning happens. And so like with a horse like you're dealing with, um, I will push her right to the edge where she's like, I'm not so sure about this, but it's a very delicate balance. Cause if I go too far and now she's in the rearing zone where she's like, I just want you off of me. I want this to end no matter what I do to ride that out. Not a lot of learning is going to take place because all she's worried about is just living. You know, she thinks right. she's in peril and she just wants to live. So just because you don't get into a knockdown drag out fist fight, that doesn't mean you're not training. Um, you, you know, you'll, and you know your horse better than anyone. So you'll know where, okay, we've got a little bit of nerves happening, but we're, we've got control of the situation. Let's live in this zone for just a moment or two. And then we'll go back to that relaxation. Um, if I do find myself in that danger zone, the very top of that pyramid, I just, I will do what I have to, to live and help my horse get through it. That might mean getting off my horse. Totally fine. Because again, you're, you're not doing anybody any favors by being in that zone where it's just complete panic. Right. Right. Totally get that. That's awesome. Uh, well, thank you so much. I appreciate that. What's funny is she's actually a three-day event horse and uh, out on cross country she's perfectly fine so I don't know what it is when there's not jumps around she panics (laughs) it's funny some horses if you give them a job they're like I got this and uh, yeah that's a whole other training I've dealt with that uh, quite a bit as well Um, you know you just just need to put red and white flags all the way around everywhere you go (laughs) Yeah, totally. I will, I'll just start carrying them around and set them on the side of, like, her bridle or something. There you go. <laughs> and like, you can see them all the time. It'll be like a headpiece. It'll be perfect. <laughs> Thanks for calling, Courtney. This is fascinating. <laughs> Thank you guys so much. Cool. That's, that was a very interesting conversation. There are a lot of horses who have that, like you call it, safe zone. They, they get in an area where... Maybe they've they've been there before, but for some unknown reason to us humans, it's like, oh, scary place, can't be here. (laughs) Well, and I tell you what, this is almost 99% of what I'm dealing with when I deal with a horse that's buddy sour, barn sour, um, a horse that you take into a horse show and they just scream their head off Mm -hmm. the whole time. 
that horses, they, all they want to do is find out where do I feel safe. Mm -hmm. And when you have issues like my horse blows up on the trail or he tries to run me back to the barn or he's calling to his buddies or he tries to run back to the herd, that is the horse. He's not, we have this idea of dominance theory in horse training, which I wish would just die because it's (laughs) scientifically not even valid. That's a whole other show. Um, We'll do but we'll do people, that on stable scoop on one of the round tables coming up. We'll talk about that good one. one. It's a good one. Um, so, but I see people all the time. They're like, "Oh, wipe that look off your face. I'm going to round pin you till you don't do that anymore." They're trying to be the alpha. The, they're trying to be the herd leader. And um, I guarantee you, your horse is not looking at you. It's not Game of Thrones where, <laughs> like, they're in the castle <laughs> sipping wine and finding out all the ways in which they can destroy you. It's not that. The horse is just trying to feel safe. And all of those issues, he's rearing up, he wants to run this way, he's trying to call home, you know, trying to call to his friends, is he's just trying to find out where am I safe. And it's actually the first lesson I teach my wild mustangs that I'm starting them is I'm going to show you where everything's okay. And I make that me. If you look at me, put your attention on me, I will get you through this. You don't, It's okay to be scared. It's okay if you need to move your feet. I understand. I understand what you're feeling, but you need to put your focus on me. And initially they do that just because they know that's where I will release pressure. So they'll, they'll keep their eyes on me, look at me just because they know, okay, I've learned that this is the best place to be because there's the release of pressure. I get a reward here. Um, but after a while you will see that horse like crave that spot that you've given them to be safe. Um, where I've had horses that, uh, I had trained to, you know, to face up. If you look at me, put your attention on me, everything will be safe. Um, I've had horses that I will be working them on the ground and something blows up in the distance and they get scared. And the first thing they learned they do without me even prompting is look at me. Like, what do you want me to do? And if you can get that to happen, both under saddle and on the ground, a lot of those problems you're dealing with are going to start just melting away. I th- and, and I think uh, you you hit on something there that I, I would like to highlight without any prompting. Because there's a difference between a horse who will face up, pay attention to you, come back to your attention upon prompting. And consistently and regularly do that. And a horse who volunteers that behavior, there's a very different thing going on inside their head between those two. A horse that will only pay attention when asked, even if he does it all the time. It's like, every time I ask, he's always there, but you always have to ask. Versus a horse who will pay attention when asked, but will also seek that same process. Seek out your... Approval, leadership, assurance, whatever word you want to call it, but face up without being prompted. Completely different things going on inside their head. And it's my favorite part of horse training because, uh, and this is actually how I get my horses to lay down. It's it's how I've developed my lay down method, um, which is constantly changing. Um, but it all starts with, put your focus here. And initially they do it just because it's condition response. Um, I cued them. They know what happens if they don't do it. They know what happens if they do do it. So they decide I'm going to do, I'm going to do this behavior because this, this provides me the most comfort, the most release of pressure. But I can tell in their mind, they're only just 
giving me a response. There's no change happening. But then over time, you will see the horse actually start to crave that spot and they will seek it out because that's where they're going to get that dopamine hit. That's where they're going to, you know, all the good brain chemicals are going on. Um, they, that's the funnest part when they just, it becomes what I call a default behavior. This is just what you do. Yes. The programming Um, has started to come. I think that's a good way to explain it. The chemical reaction, what's going on inside their, their brain changes and starts to morph if you're getting it right. And, I only thought of that because very recently our new dog, Pickles, the Greyhound, has been a challenge. She is testing all of my dog care and dog training skills, which is not hard to do because they're pretty limited. (laughs) They're pretty limited. Um, But she did not really know. Well, she didn't know how to walk on a leash. You could put a leash on her and she wouldn't try to leave, but she had no clue what that was really all about because she's just a puppy. So I've been working with her and we use a lot of positive reinforcements using food because she is an incredibly food motivated dog to a point of it being a fault. Um, But we've been using that to our advantage and it's only the past, I would say week or so that we could be walking on a leash and without any prompting from me at all whatsoever, I'm just walking. She will look to me and going, am I getting it? Am I getting it right? And ask if she's getting it right. And at first I would have to keep, you know, shove a treat in your mouth, shove a treat in your mouth. But now she'll get to the point now when she's having a good day and there aren't too many squirrels around. She'll look at me and go, am I getting it right? And simply ask that versus I'm getting it right. I need a cookie now. So there's that gentle little morph there is starting to happen. And you're right. You kind of get a little bit of goosebumps when that happens. I know it's so much fun. <laughs> but it's hard and it's not linear like so many things. It's not something that all of a sudden happens. It's going to happen a little bit and then we're going to go back and not going to happen so much. And then it'll happen a little bit and maybe a little bit more and then not so much. And I think a lot of us get discouraged when we have what we feel like is a breakthrough and then we feel like we go back a little bit. Exactly. Um, I had someone refer to it like as a spiral, which is perfect because you're, you are, it doesn't feel like it, but you are working your way slowly towards this goal, but you will constantly kind of pass the same things as you're going around. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't feel like you're making progress because we had the breakthrough, but then we come around and we're back to things are coming apart, but you're still spiraling towards that ultimate, like enlightened you know thing that we all strive for that sort of zen you know buddha nirvana thing yeah you're right i like it and i think we should wrap up with that that's fascinating what a great show mary i know cool well cool um so people who want to stalk you appropriately online, uh, ask you questions about getting horses trained, uh, maybe are interested in some of the lovely horses that you have in training that are looking for new homes, hire you for a clinic, etc. How can they do that? Uh, you can find me on Facebook. Uh, Mary Kitzmiller Horsemanship is my page. You can go to the website, marykitzmiller.com. And uh, so those are those are probably the two best places to find me online. I've got my contact info there. And uh, yeah, feel free to hit me up. There we go. And you're going to find links to today's uh, show notes, topics, uh, advertisers, etc. at horsesinthemorning.com. 
If you haven't done so already, please follow us on social media. Facebook, we are Horses in the Morning. On Twitter, we are Horse Radio. And make sure you've downloaded the iPhone and Android app for Horse Radio Network. Just go to your app store and search Horse Radio Network. It's easy to use. Help your friends do the same if they're not tech savvy. Thank you once again to Horseware and Total Saddle Fit is our other sponsor today. Oh my goodness, I forgot to talk about Total Saddle Fit. Total Saddle Fit, Cinch. It's called the Shoulder Relief Cinch. And the fine folks at Total Saddle Fit, that would be Justin, by the way, has created a cinch that will fit on your Western saddle that comes in a variety of materials that will help your saddle fit better. Even if your saddle already fits well, it's going to fit better because it helps the latigos go straight down, not slide forward, helps the saddle not slide forward onto your horse's shoulders, and it keeps the the cinch out of your horse's armpits so he doesn't get girth galls. So you need to check that out at totalsaddlefit.com. And if you order your cinch from totalsaddlefit.com, it comes with a guarantee. You can use it. You can test it. You can let it get sweaty. And if you're not in love with it, you can return it. So check out all of the details at totalsaddlefit.com. And today we're going to do something a little bit different. Rather than playing the horse radio network closer, I'm going to, uh, I'm going to let, I'm going to play the show out with a little bit of Jared Rogerson. How's that? Ooh, perfect. City smoke in the air You can see it from anywhere There's a million people driving around Going nowhere Buildings grew up all around me But I still got a painted pony Gonna give her a job Cause she's fat and bored And I'm gonna ride my horse more Well, I love to drive my truck The open road feels pretty good But just because you can Doesn't mean that you always should can hardly breathe Man, this is killing me I'm gonna ride my horse more Mother Nature, she's been beat up I'd say she's been abused Now even the ocean's black and blue Gasoline just turns to haze And my wallet's on empty anyways Holding the reins is something I can afford So I'm gonna ride my horse more Well, I love to drive my truck The open road feels pretty good But just because you can Doesn't mean that you always should Got a name 
this is killing me. 